Okay, we will attempt to take on another big chunk out of uh, Isaiah tonight. Uh, after looking at the four servant songs, remember that? Uh, one of them was last week, and then, or, or actually, we had we've had four all together. We've had three built up to that, and then we have the chapter end of 52, end of chapter 53, and that dealt with the sacrificial atonement, uh, really, of the suffering servant. Uh, so the servant song in there was the suffering servant. That's, that's Christ. And now, on the heels of that, is that being the sacrifice, the details of the sacrifice of uh, him, him dying for our sins, justification and such, we see the consequences of that sacrifice. What difference did that sacrifice mean? Well, of course, to us, we, we know that means everything, but... To Israel, it means restoration, and that's one point we'll be looking at, chapter 54. Then to the Gentile nations, it means an invitation for them, and then in the third part, it means that God will be judging, uh, there will be an accusation made against rebellious sinners. And so in 54, you get the, the restoration and in 55 through first few verses of 56 is an invitation to the Gentiles. And then from 56 through 59 then is accusation against the sinners. <clears throat> so that's some of the things that are um, uh, affected uh, by that sacrifice. So it, it was, it's a promise to the nation of Israel. It's a promise to the rest of the world. And it's also a promise that there will be judgment. And of course, that would be to everybody, not only Israel, but uh, to the nations. And that's how we're uh, going to divide that up. What we're going to do is look at the character of God here, <laughs> because <clears throat> we are in the section that so much gives us what it is that happens because of the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God of promises. That you are God who not only promises, but you back it up. And we know for sure when you say something that it is certain. Thank you for this great book of Isaiah, which we've just been given a little glimpse of what um, you had written there in a big book, a major book, and yet it uh, is something that we can instill in our minds of how your nature, your character works, you being the great gracious God who loves to restore. And uh, of course, you not only do it to nation, but you do it to other nations and you did it to individuals like each one of us. And so as we peer into your word tonight, may we get a little bit better glimpse of, uh, again, of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So we finished chapter 53, which is a highlight of Isaiah, isn't it? It's like the diamond in the ring and it's just glittering and shining but um, out of that 53 then uh, comes results based upon this sacrifice based upon everything is focused at the cross isn't it because everything comes out of there there would not be any good news there would not be any promises outside of the person of Christ who died on the cross for our sins because other than that we don't deserve anything but hell and so there would not be any promises if it were not for the cross. So, chapter 54, first uh, 17 verses, which I think, basically, that's the chapter. <laughs> oh, right. Isaiah 54. You will give us some help here tonight on this, then, won't you? <laughs> well, anything that you can share, as it is with anybody else, that is always very helpful. Uh, let's, let's just start off. Let's go ahead and read some of this. Uh, verse 1. You have to like this first verse. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. 
Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted ones, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay in your sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies, and your gates of crystal, and your entire wall of precious stones. All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work, and I have created the destroyer to ruin. You're like this verse. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Chapter 54. And 54, right at the end there, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. We've been seeing the servant. The servant is Christ. Now, we've seen before where Israel is considered to be a servant. And even a pagan ruler was considered to be a servant. But Christ is the servant of all. And he was the suffering servant. But now he goes back and says that Israel is uh, a servant of him. So... The picture in this chapter, just to kind of get a brief overview, is that a God who is the faithful husband. Did you grasp that in like in uh, verse 5? Uh, he even talks about widowhood in verse 4 and then verse 5. A husband is your maker. Uh, the wife of one's youth in verse 6. So that's that's the thought. And he is the husband. Of course, he's the the perfect one. Uh, he forgives Israel. As wicked as the nation had become, he forgives that nation, still has promises that he will not ever break in his covenant. She is considered to be a wife to him. But what kind of wife? An unfaithful wife. That's what had come about. But he's going to restore her to the place of blessings. And so he uses marriage as the picture, marriage as uh, as an image. And, uh, of course, that's what God does so much. He gets it into baby talks that we can understand. And, of course, we know that the church is considered to be the bride, and he's the bridegroom. Uh, of course, uh, Israel uh, had been married to him. Um, Jeremiah will use that theme. Ezekiel will use that theme. Um uh, Hosea uses that theme, where you have the fa or the the husband and and, and the wife, and um, we know that Israel really was kind of married to God at Mount Sinai. There was a covenant made; it was the Mosaic covenant, and that's the law. It was given there, but what did she do? Well, in a relationship of husband and wife, what is something that will break that covenant that's so obvious adultery and so uh, throughout all of the the prophets and you see it in Isaiah um, Israel committed adultery by 
uh, worshiping idols, turning to other gods, turning to even other nations and relying on them. But um, So what the Lord had to do was temporarily abandon Israel. The ten tribes were definitely judged, but out of those ten tribes, people dispersed back, some of them dispersed back to the uh, Judah. And so none of those people were absolutely lost uh, as far as tribes are concerned. Um, the, the prophets had always promised, though, and Isaiah does constantly through this book, that he will restore the nation of Israel, um, which you think of Judah and Benjamin, but all of the people out of all the tribes. Uh, he did, in a way, when Babylon came and took the uh, Judah and Benjamin, there was a judgment there. They went to Babylon, 70 years, captivity. Then they went back home, rebuilt. But that rebuilding is falls short of the glory that Isaiah is bringing forth in this section and then later on uh, the last part of Isaiah, which we have for next week. There is one sense of the deliverance that happened immediately but there's another sense when the ultimate delivery will happen where he has he's always promised that he would not forsake Israel and there will be nations nations in the kingdom um he doesn't abandon that that was a great idea he always had that before he why would he abandon that and, but it's not that there's one people ultimately it's the people of God but yet he still has um uh, the sense of we we come from different kinds of backgrounds and such, and that God is a God of variance, you know, and uh, isn't it good that that He is? But he, he abandoned Israel temporarily because of her adultery, and but yet He's saying I'm going to restore you, and that's exactly what chapter uh, 54 is about. And uh, we see in verse one, uh, there's a restoration to what to joy. Shout for joy, O barren one. You have borne no child. He compares to a, a woman who never had the blessing of having a child. Well, she was barren because of her, her sin here. And Isaiah, I think, really loved music. <laughs> i got to like Isaiah. Because more than 30 times he mentions song or singing. You, you check it out and you start looking through there that's right he has used that and um, the servant songs they are called Um, so as far as the immediate is concerned yes he's going to deliver them from captivity and bring them back to their land that is a prophecy and it did come through and historically we can say God came through on that one but he wasn't done they were going to fail him again And whenever the Messiah came, they received not the Messiah. Does that mean God says, okay, 70 A.D. and that's it, and I'm never going to come back to you again? Now, there are people that can be Jews and be Christians. No, because the answer is found in not only these texts, but it's found in Isaiah or uh, uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, where he does not forget about his chosen nation and he he had promised and he promised it through Abraham uh, and that's an unconditional covenant conditional is based upon okay God says I'm going to do my part in this covenant now you do your part and that was twofold they were to do the law they couldn't do it we couldn't do it Christ did it and that's why we can get in on the new covenant And but the law showed that they couldn't do it but um, um, yet at the same time, this, I think, emphasizes the grace of God. How many times can a nation fail him and yet he still restores them all the way to the ultimate? Yeah? Well, how do the people who do think 70 AD would get to the Jews, how do they explain it? Uh, for the most part, I would say they would be saying this is for the church. 
And that, that would be, and of course, they don't deny the fact that Jews can become Christians. But some deny the fact that there is even Jews today. Um, they'll say they got all lost and uh, there's no such thing as uh, Israel and no such thing as Jews. You say, well, who are those people over in Israel? Uh, that's, there's no way because they went to different nations and they got married and remarried to other people and the whole Jewishness is all gone, which if you look at it historically, if you go chasing through that, uh, who were those people that uh, Hitler obliterated as far as six million? Who were they then? That's the same people that are saying, I've talked to people. I, I, I know some people that have said that never even happened. They knew where all those people on them delis in New York City and, and the people in Hollywood. Exactly. <laughs> those famous actors. Right. Isn't it interesting? Uh, they they do God have blesses. a certain look too. And God blesses. He's still there's there's re, there's reverberations of blessing of them in the land that he gave to them. You know, in talents and you know financial. Absolutely. All these kind of things. You still see that in, in the they seem to carry along Jewish with people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, different things and stuff. And not all of them, but you know, it's a, but there is a mm-hmm. you know Yeah, there's there's you know Well oh, many things that they've been involved with sci- scientific efforts. Yeah. That's just been Science. incredible, hasn't it? So yeah. Many things God has blessed them and continues to bless them. That's right. They, and, and even despite the fact that a lot of these same people right now don't even believe in secular, God. Yeah. Totally secular. Mm-hmm. Secular humanist. But yet God, as if you look in this text here and, and so many other places, just all over Scripture, you cannot write off them. And that's what Romans 11 says. Don't be too arrogant. Don't be boastful and prideful because we came from that root uh, that that's, that was started. They're the ones who were given the oracles. God chose Israel. And um, I, I see Israel in God's plan all the way through, all the way into the kingdom. Um, and because he, it's a way of showing grace to a people who, who don't, do not deserve it. And it definitely pictures the Gentiles or people like us who do not deserve it. And so he, he, he's got so much grace and mercy, he still offers it to a people who right now as a whole, they don't even believe in him. Or they do their outward rituals as they always have. And it still means nothing. But um, at the same time, it shows he is a God of election. He is a God of grace. And if he can take a people who spurn him that he had chosen... And he can still come in and turn them around. Yeah. And where does it where does it say in the Old Testament where he tells them how he chose them and it wasn't for their sake or anything? It was for his name's sake. You know. It wasn't because they were great people. Yeah. De- Deuteronomy chapter seven. There, I think, uh, Bob. I believe that's what you might be thinking of right there. In verse seven, uh, verse six, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He chose that nation to work through. Out of all the other nations, of course, the other nations are going to say, "Well, why didn't He choose us?" <laughs> but He chose this one. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than other people. Not because you were great. They came out of nothing, right? For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So and then there's all know therefore that the Lord your God He is God the faithful God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now that never writes out the Gentiles, but who is He speaking to here? He's not speaking to the church. We can't substitute the church in on that. 
That is the nation Israel. We, that would be a terrible exposition of Scripture if we if we do that. It's interesting. People who don't believe in Israel, they will take Israel's promises, but when it comes to the cursings to them, all of a sudden that's not the church. It's Israel. But whenever it's the promises, guess who it is? It's the church. That's very unfair to reading what the Scripture is saying. That's a, an obliteration, an abomination in, in interpretation, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's getting pretty close to what Luther thought. Yeah, 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 exactly. Deuteronomy 7, uh, verse 6. So, uh, wow. Okay, did that help a little bit? <laughs> that was your question, Barb, right? Okay. He also says that in Deuteronomy 9, 4, where it says, Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Um, and then in 5, it says, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart yeah. are you going in to not because of your righteousness, not because you were good, not because you were mighty and, and there were big in numbers. He's, he's saying, but it was because of him. <coughs> By the way, that reminds me of. Jer- I'm sorry, we're on this thing, but might as well keep going. Jeremiah 31, um, and I think this is one of the best scriptures on this because in 31 you get the new covenant. You know, starting at verse 27, where God is going to put. Uh, a new covenant, a new heart into his people and such, just like in Ezekiel. Um, um, Okay, look at verse 35. Thus says the Lord. He he says, I'm going to forgive their iniquities. I I will remember those no more. 31, 35. Thus says the Lord. Who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night? God's the one that put that order and make sure they get the light right. Who stirs up the sea so that his waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, and what he's doing, he's saying this, this order is always going to be here. But if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease. <laughs> well, we know it's, it, it, the, his order is never going to leave, is it? But he says, if... This order leaves, then uh, Israel, the promise to Israel, the offspring of Israel, also will cease from being a nation before me forever. What does that mean? If he keeps it together, then they're going to be a nation forever, right? Speaking of his integrity. And it's all about him, exactly. It's his promise, his integrity, his faithfulness. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off the offspring of Israel. He says, okay, if you can measure the heavens and the foundations of the earth, if you can check all that out and know all that, then I'll cast off Israel. Well, who can do that? Who can measure all that? So what does that imply? He's not going to cast off Israel. And by the way, Israel's not the church there. He's, he, and this is through Jeremiah, and it's speaking to the the very nation there. For all that they have de- done, declares the Lord. Um, and and he even mentions verse 38. Look at the literalness. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city will be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel, that's a real literal place, to the corner gate, the measuring line, and he mentions Gareb. That was all, those were places. This is not to, t- to be a spiritual sense um, there is a spirituality behind it, but definitely a, a physical sense that there's going to be a, a rebuilding. <clears throat> and that's through Jeremiah. So he's never going to abandon Israel. That's really what it comes down to. Unless there could be somebody that measures the heavens, the foundations, and all the fixed order and all the universe goes haywire. Then he says, yeah, Israel will be lost too then. But that's not going to happen. So there's a promise. And that's out of the covenant chapter. And I, I would have to ask Barb to the same people that you ask, well, who, you know, who says that, you know, about Israel? I, I would say, can you answer me this then? You know, what is this here in chapter 31? That covenant starts with Israel. Uh, and, of course, that is the new covenant, which we become a part of. But it's called promise theology. We become a part of the theology of the promise 
because of what it first started with Israel. For some reason, he wanted to start with Israel. He did it, and he still did it even in the time of uh, after the church started. He still went to the Jews first. Uh, so, anyway, uh, whether one likes it or not, uh, whether they hate the nation of Israel or not, the fact of the matter is God has uh, them as the apple of his eye. So so do we. But um, I'm not going to be prideful and uh, boast against Israel and say they're not a nation or God has done with them. Uh, I cannot do that because I think I'd be going against the integrity, as, as you said there, Bob, against God. That's how important it is to, I think, us. Um, Verses 1 through 3, back to 54. Did that help, Barb? I think that ends the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Some of those scriptures, I think, uh, definitely uh, give uh, a good hand. The first uh, three verses are dealing with the fruitfulness of them. And, and he, he says, okay, you've been barren, and then there's nothing. And he says, hey, listen, there's going to be a time when everything has to be stretched out and enlarged. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs. We're going to move out. You know, when they went back into their own land, it was small. It, it got a little bigger. But it was limited there. It's still limited today, you know, in Israel. It, my goodness, what is it, 10 miles between the Mediterranean Sea and the, and the West Bank? A little sliver of land. Um, you could cut the nation in half there. But uh, God keeps it, keeps it going. But So there's a, there's a fruitfulness. They're going to grow. I think this is taking it to the time of the kingdom when it will expand all over the, the Middle East and uh, there's a restoration of the land from verse 4 through 10. Um, uh, the nation will increase. It will need more space. Uh, only a believing remnant is going to enter into the kingdom. But the Lord is going to enlarge uh, abundantly. And Israel may feel like a barren woman. And even to this day, I think you could compare them to a barren woman but at one time there will be an increase to uh, to the glory of God is what it's about. It says at the end of verse 10, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. That is how he has had his heart set. It says, my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who is compassionate on you. Um, he's, and at that time, he is speaking to Israel. And granted, some of these we can claim as promises because of the promise made to them because of the new covenant, we can see how we fit into this too. But we first have to read it as God's promise that was made to His people at that time and to that nation. And ultimately, we know it's to the believing remnant. And we get to be on a part of that. But um, He also says in here, fear not. And we've seen that, uh, especially in in this section that started with uh, the sovereignty of God, and you can look in 41.10, on and on, where he says, fear not. You know, I'm here to comfort you. Don't fear. Don't fear. Fear not. Constantly. Uh, he, he's giving them confidence. And we can see that in verse 4, they, it's, he says, fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to totally forgive you. Uh, they had sinned greatly, but God forgave them. And this meant a new beginning. And he's been saying that in uh, chapter 43. Um, Chapter 44, um, your sins will be forgiven. Of course, we think of as far as the east is from the west, what he's done there. Um, The steadfast love of the Lord, the loving kindness of God. Verse 5 and 6, that's the steadfast uh, husband. Uh, God is their maker. He says, for your husband is your maker. If he's the maker, he's the creator. 
He created them for His His good pleasure, for His glory, right? That's what He did. He he didn't make a mistake. (laughs) They did. They sinned. But God is going to have the remnant there. He's going to forgive them. This meant there's going to be a new beginning. He will not break His covenant promises. When you see a wedding vows made, that means there's a covenant being made. Unfortunately, a lot of those covenants are broken. And there are unfaithful people in it. But God is faithful. He had an unfaithful wife, Israel. So Israel's not the church there. And I don't think those people would say, oh, that's that's the church. Because if that be the case, that means the church is... God abandons the church for a little while. Can He do that? He can't. We are, you know, Christ is in us. We are in Him. So... I don't think we are known as, even though we we can sin, and yes, we can be unfaithful, and of course, He is a faithful one. But because of our relationship, we are permanently with Him. Israel was not permanently abandoned. It was a temporary abandonment because God is going to call her back. Now, He did in the Babylonian deal. Okay, and then when Christ came, He called her back again. Uh, then 70 A.D. He said, "Okay, that's it, that's it, no more." No, He can't do that. You think of Hosea, chapter two. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Hosea is a great picture of that. I guess we're focusing most of our time tonight on on the uh, marriage relationship between God and Israel. In Hosea two fourteen. This is a restoration of his bride. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, speak kindly to her. Then I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about on that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and will no longer call me Bailey, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day will I also make a covenant for them with the beast of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and she will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth to you, to me, forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. It will come about on that day that I will respond, says the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine and to the oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So he restores Israel at a time it looked like there was an absolute divorce forever. That was just a temporary separation. And Hosea actually was married to a woman. That was quite a picture who was really... um, a faithless harlot. And he compares Israel in the same way. So there's a spiritual sense behind that, but there was a real thing going there with Hosea and Gomer. And that was a picture, though, how it would be and that God would finally restore her. He's not going to abandon Israel and say, that's it. There are too many stories and too many promises of God. He compares it to the flood. He says in 7, for a brief moment I forsook you. A brief moment might be a few hundred years, maybe uh, more than that. But it's it's a brief moment to God. Uh, but I'll gather you. I know I had anger, righteous anger. He says, I'll have compassion on you. 
And at the end of verse 8, it says, the Yahweh, your Redeemer. It's like Noah. You know, I, I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. And I meant that. Has it ever happened? Oh, I'm sure we were wondering this week. <laughs> I think some people have kind of alluded that, kind of like the, the floods of Noah. And they're thinking of the local floods that happened. You know, you know, we, we know that really wasn't a worldwide flood, right? <laughs> of course it was a worldwide flood. And God said, I'll never do that again. Made the promise. And that is something we know that we bank on. We, we know that. Even when it rains eight inches. <laughs> it was a lot more than that whenever Noah was around. That's right. Forty days and forty nights. Wow. Okay. Uh, he banks it on that. Uh, in verses 11 through 17, you get the aspect where Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Um and in verse 12, he talks about the gates, uh, the the stones, and the wall. Uh, if we if we were to go to uh, Revelation, uh, oh the the sapphires and the rubies and the crystal and the precious stones. Um, and, and of course, like I say, this this is great. These are great promises that we can hold on to. But you know, you look in Revelation 21. Verses 18 through 21, it's a it's a real city. It's not some thing just kind of hanging out there in some kind of a spiritual thing. There's going to be a real Jerusalem, a real city, a real glorification. We're going to have real bodies in it. And in Revelation 21, verse 18, the material of the wall was jasper. I can't see any reason why we can't see that this will be real. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. He's talking about beauty. Um, those are beautiful here. Even though it's, it's sin-tainted here, it's really beautiful. They're beautiful things here. But it, we're always reaching out for we want more. God has given us eternity in our hearts so when things aren't perfect, they're not right, we want it that way, but it we always kind of just miss, you know? You ever notice that? God has given that to us because one day all of that will be fulfilled. We'll see absolute beauty. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth. You know, you go on and on. Verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. A gate as big as a pearl. He can do that. We see little pearls like that and go, wow. Right? <laughs> and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I know to this day, they say, well, that's just a spiritual sense. That's not really, really gold. And those are really not walls made of... Why are they saying that? Yeah, this is the glory of, of the new Jerusalem. And I think here in Isaiah, that's what he's extending out, although they're going to be blessed and God gives them a a, a little sense of the glory that was before as they go to Jerusalem. But I'll tell you what, it was nothing compared to Solomon's temple. But Solomon's temple is nothing compared to what is going to be built in the new Jerusalem. I mean, it's just going to be uh, fabulous. So, there's a promise. Restoration for Israel. He'll restore the city of Jerusalem, the, there you, you get uh, the precious stones and the gates, the crystal, and uh, just the beauty of it all. It's, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Never again will they ever have to be, a, be attacked by enemies. Uh, I know there's some things we can claim out of that if we, if we trust in God, right? There's spiritual senses for us right now, but in the, in the Thing that goes past the present tense into the future, there's even more of a promise. And never again will we ever have a battle with Satan. Never again will we battle with the flesh. Never again will we battle with the world. I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> we're ready. 
Um, and I know in 17, every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. Um, there is a time period where there is a kingdom where there will be still some sin present. God will stamp it out. He rules with a rod of iron, says in Revelation. Uh, during that time, that allows for that to happen, that there would be even um, a sense of sin, and He will put it out in a moment's time. Um, that kingdom age allows for a lot of things that we see in um, Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Zechariah especially. That kingdom age uh, allows for... Uh, the, you'd be considered to be an infant uh, at 100 years old. There would be long life during that time. Or where the nations go up, Egypt and, and other nations go up to the temple to worship. If they don't, there will be a curse on them. Uh, as, and that's after the time that Jesus Christ has come back in Zechariah. What do you do with those texts? You have to take the sense that if he literally comes back then he's literally going to judge and he will literally have a place where the nations will come to worship with Israel. And if they don't do it, uh, they don't come to those feasts, the Feast of um, Tabernacles, for instance. And it wasn't a past tense, it's in a future tense in Zechariah. So we we get answers for that. And then the uh, temple in 40 through 48 of Ezekiel, which is really hard for people to answer. Uh, A real place, real city, measured out given distances. Uh, one has to be challenged with those. Um, we get an invitation to the Gentiles. Now, that was about Israel. And now he says in 55, Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Hey, if you don't have any money, come buy. Come buy it. Yeah, but I don't have any money. <laughs> and then he says, come buy wine and milk. And he says, without money and without cost. It's not going to cost you, but you come and buy it. So give everything that you have, which is really, you have nothing, but I'm giving it to you if you come and, hey, you desire to buy it. The invitation is open to everybody. Um, he not only dies for the sins of Israel in Isaiah 53, he, he also dies for the sins of the whole world, uh, Gentile nations. Isaiah made it very clear that the Gentiles are included in God's plan. We've seen Israel. We see the Gentiles. They're all in this. God has those one, this one people. There are, there's another people of unbelievers. Yeah, believers, unbelievers. But in the ones who are believers, he has um, still differences between the people, like he's had here. There's nothing wrong with that. He can do that. He likes to do that. He's a God of variance. Look at, look at the plants. Look at the animals. Look at all the differences that they have. It says, come. That's an invitation extended out to those who are thirsty. They're hungry. And he says, everything is free. You come. It's yours if you really want it. If you listen to the Word, then you'll be inclined to come. For God draws sinners, doesn't He? Reminds me of uh, John 4 where it talks about the uh, the woman at the well and the water Jesus really is the water. Water is a precious ingredient, isn't it? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Abundance of waters. If you go to the Mideast, you go into Israel, uh, you go into an area that can be very, very dry. The people were living on substitutes that didn't nourish them. And he says, I have an abundance of water for you. They weren't used to that physically. You know, water is a good symbol of the Holy Spirit. I think in John 7, it talks about the Holy Spirit uh, running free and, and such. And, of course, uh, wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit, uh, joyous. Uh, Jesus is the bread of life. Here it says, um, uh, verse 2, Why do you spend money for what is not bread? You, you have some cheap substitute you're living on. Why don't you go for the real bread? Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, it said milk. Can you think of in the New Testament where it says anything about milk? The pure milk of the Word. Right? His living Word. Um, is that not bread? Is that like that gluten-free stuff? 
Yeah, substitutes. Cheap substitutes. He says, listen carefully to me in verse 2, and eat what is good. What's re- and delight yourself in abundance. All of it here. You come to me, I have everything you need. I am the bread. I am the water. I am the milk. I am the wine. Everything that was essential. He says, I am that. And um, verse 5 Uh, is it 55.5? Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. He says, you are, you are made a witness to call the Gentiles in. That's interesting. God is going to use the Jews to call the Gentiles salvation. Well, we already know that. Way back when the Ten Commandments were given, that's really what it was about. You know, where they were to be make making known who God was. Um, Does anybody else get goosebumps? Whenever I read anywhere about running to God or running to the cross, just the imagery of that gives me goosebumps. Yeah, how about the um, prodigal son? When he came back, the father ran to the son. Now, that's undignified. (laughs) That's what God did to us. He ran to us. But we are also running to him. And so there you get it there. They will run to you because you have the good news. And and just the imagery of him as a father, and fathers protect their children, you know, and I never grew up with a Father. So over the years since I've become a Christian, as I've grown, those verses about running to God just really—it's it, just an indescribable feeling, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Thank you, Lord, that you drew us to you. We went running when we realized He was pulling us to Him. And we should. Yeah, once you see something that's really good, you don't. It's like on the beach. <laughs> Come boldly to the throne. Come right on up there, right? Have the confidence. So he says, "Come" in in verses one through five. In verse six, he says, "Seek, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon while He's near. He may not always be there." Uh, that reminds in the New Testament, draws from the Old Testament. What is it? Second Corinthians uh, chapter 6, I believe it is. I'm hoping it is. Uh, 6 verse 2. There he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when we give the gospel out, we say now, you know, Come to Him now. Don't wait. Don't delay. And then we approach what I think is really interesting. Verse 8. You all love this verse, don't you? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Then the next one. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. (laughs) Ah. Knowing that the way that we think is always going to come up short from the way that God has it. I mean, it's far beyond our comprehension, isn't it? Who God is and what He does. We can get an idea through His Word, but um, and, but we want to know more and more of His thoughts and His ways so as we become like Him. Uh Mm-hmm. So he says, come. He says, seek. All the way through verse 13. Oh, I like in, in 13. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. So this is kind of reversing the curse. Instead of the nettle, uh, uh, the nettle, the myrtle will come up. 
and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. So the reverse of the curse, you think of the the briars and the brambles, and then he says the uh, you have the cypress coming up, the myrtle, and real uh, fruitful. Worship is found in 56, uh, 12 and, let's see, I think 1 through 8 kind of deals with that. We're running short on time. I like verse 7. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Do you know who quoted that? Do you remember when Jesus... Yeah. Jesus. My house will be a prayer, a place of prayer. For all the peoples, for the Gentiles. They had a place for the Gentiles. And what what had they done? They, they had brought in the money changers and such and took the spot where the Gentiles were at where they couldn't even come and, and, and get from a distance worship. And that's why Jesus was so angry. For my house will be called a house of prayer. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them to those already gathered. And this clarifies, I think, again, Israel and the Gentiles, the ones who are going to be coming into the church. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel, and that would be the nation of Israel. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. If they start saying, well, it's a church, then you've got a problem with the next phrase. Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. The one he gathers is Israel. Then I'll gather them from other nations. He says the dispersed of Israel and then the other nations. The two do become one, as it says in Ephesians, but yet we see the differences. And so I think it's right interpretation. Um, He speaks of um, the Sabbath day there. He speaks of foreigners and eunuchs and even grace is, is offered to them. The sinners are called and they're invited in. Um, that's what's in 56. Um, also, the, the last part, and it's mainly 57, 58, and 59, and we're just going to get a brief view of this and we, we call it for the night. Um, in 56, verse 9, he mentions watchmen. I think verse 10, his watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. The leaders, they were they were blind. They uh, they were deaf. Um, they were not leading the people. Um, and Ezekiel mentions that. You have the the watchmen, and they weren't doing their job. Uh, shepherds, same thing. They were they were false shepherds. They were not taking care of the sheep. They didn't protect the flock. And yet, through it all, um, the remnant, even though they are included in this, and they're going to get okay. What's going to happen to the nation? The remnant is still living in that nation, and they will they get in on part of the judgment that happens. And some of them are going to be taken right on out of this world and go to be with the Lord. Uh, they still find rest, whether it's here or whether they get to be with the Lord. They're not exempt. And I think we, as Christians, live in this nation. doesn't mean we're exempt from the consequences that this nation will reap. We, too, can uh, have the same kind of thing that's going on with the unbelievers. But we still find rest in it all because we know what's happening and we know we, we're always underneath the protective hand of the Lord. And what's the worst thing that can happen? That we go to be with the Lord. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. But a lot of things happen with the believer as well as the unbeliever. And um, God has a lot to say in chapter 57. The idolaters, he compares with adultery, with the prostitution. They trusted pagan leaders. 
So there again, he goes back. Here's what you were. He reminds them. He's, he's been giving them the promises. He comes back in our 57, 58, and 59, more or less saying, here's what you were. And all this does is amplify God's grace and his mercy and his love, his faithfulness to his covenant because it shows his glory. Um, and idolatry, anybody or anything that we trust in except uh, other than the Lord is really an idol. Uh, he talks about the pride, the greed of the people. One of the things that God hates is pride. In Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, these things I hate, one of them is pride. Well, that's what the nation had. In 58, you get hypocrites, the people who go to the temple. They obeyed the law. you know. They thought they did. They made their own law, but everything was outward. Everything was just a show. It really wasn't worshiping God. Their hearts were far from God. And we know Jesus attacked this whole kind of belief, this whole system, and went to the leaders and the Pharisees and Sadducees, the rabbis, the uh, all the leaders. Then he talk, that it, there's fasting that he talks about there. Uh, true fasting will lead to humility before God. It will delight in the Lord. But we see that there was fasting that was just an outward ritual. And we've, uh, they observed fast and feast, the festivals, but it really wasn't real true. And, and yet we find out that there are fasts that are good, can glorify God. Uh, in chapter 59, we, we uh, see that the rich exploit the poor. We've seen that all the way through Isaiah, haven't we? Again, he, he uh, uh, hits on how unjust they were. It was a conflict between truth and lies. Just same thing as today. Um, he compares the rulers to pregnant women who give birth to sin, to snakes hatching their eggs, uh, spiders weaving their webs, the lies and such. What they gave birth to will really only destroy them. Their beautiful webs of lies can never protect them. And so that's what he's basically saying in 59. Didn't have time to read it, but that's God's judgment. So those three chapters had that after we've had all of the, the promises uh, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and then he comes back and says, okay, but to the ones who don't believe in me, the ones who don't come to me, who I draw, <laughs> the ones who I run to, but yet they are to run to me, right? If they don't trust in me in that. If they don't trust in that sacrifice that's found in Isaiah 53, then here's the judgment. And it comes right back to that. The, the stark naked reality of God's wrath. And that was a foreshadowing, not only back at that time of Babylon and, and future, but all the way to the day of the Lord. When Christ comes back, the nations will be judged. Be separated from God. So, we didn't really get to read those, but again, it hits on a lot of stuff that we've seen before. Uh, that would be Jews, Gentiles alike. There would be judgment. I don't know about you, but I sure like that promises. <laughs> and I still have to praise God because He also is faithful in the sense that He will have to judge all the sinners who did not trust in Him. We are sinners who, by His grace, have trusted in Him. And we can take comfort in the fact of those promises are for us. Anyway, that takes us up to chapter 60. And 60 through 66 is the glorious future that lies ahead. This is glory that just shines brightly. That'll be next week. That's the new year. That's a good way to finish it off. <laughs> a new, new heavens, new earth. The new year celebrates that end. That's what we really look to ultimately. 
So even when it's dark, even when there are trying times, we have the promises and we know that this is, we've just started. We've just started. Thank you guys for coming out, covering another big chunk again. But it's a kind of, kind of come together a little bit, what Isaiah just keeps doing. Even in these golden chapters, he still shows promises, mostly promises, but then we still see that he is a God that is holy and just. Even though this is the year, it's been a warm